Greetings, friends, and welcome to the seventh edition of the Rhode Island Builders Association's News and Information Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Eno, and it's April 29th, 2021. Co-hosting with me today is Reba's Executive Officer, John Marcantonio. Good afternoon, John. Hello, Paul. Thanks again for putting on these lovely podcasts. Uh, we look forward to a nice conversation today with Julietta and Jim Kimmyo. Very good. With us today, uh, John just gave away the spoiler here, our two guests from the uh, Rhode Island Department of Business Regulation, Deputy Director Juliana Georgiakis and State Building Code Commissioner James Cambio. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. You've had me twice. So, hey. Well, you're well. So, so you're, you're uh, an old hand at this procedure. There you go. Next stop, Hollywood, right? <laughs> um, our subject, something we anticipate as good news for REBA members and bad news for outlaw contractors. New enforcement procedures for the state's contractors registration law. And we refer you to page one of the April issue of the Rhode Island Builder magazine for our initial story on this subject. Let's begin with Jim. Jim, can you explain, first of all, what the contractors or the registration and licensing board actually does? Sure, Paul. Thank you for having me. Um, so I think uh, the perception is that the contractors board um, just um, issues registrations to contractors. And, and while we do uh, regulate contractor registrations in licensing of certain uh, contractor trades, uh, a big part of what we do uh, involves mediating differences between homeowners and contractors. Um, we issue violations as a result of uh, inspections or complaints that are filed by homeowners. Um, and we also have an enforcement uh, part of our uh duties where we have inspectors and investigators visit job sites and check registrations, check for valid permits, and um, check for uh, correct licensing. And we can issue violations on, on those counts as well. Um, so that is pretty much, a, a, along with the regulations, uh, a big part of what we do is uh, the inspection and enforcement piece. So it's a consumer protection uh, operation, really. It is. All right. How many cases do you handle in a year uh, on average? Or, or, or? Um, Well, it, it really uh, fluctuates by the month. We have some months that we might get 20 or so complaints. And last month, we were up over 40 uh, complaints. And, mm. uh, you know, and they vary. Uh, again, uh, the complaints vary with contractors working with no permits, unregistered contractors, um, and uh, breach of contract, faulty workmanship. Um, so it's across the board. We get about okay. a, we we mediate about three hundred a year on average. Wow. Two ninety eight last time I checked. I'm the numbers mm -hmm. person, <laughs> so it's quite quite a few of them. So, Julieta, what uh, what what are the next steps you're taking here, as far as enforcement are concerned? What are the, the, these new tools that we we've, we've been uh, hearing about? So, I think one of the things that that our inspectors and, and certainly homeowners found to be frustrating was, um, on the one hand, if they brought a complaint to us and we sent our inspectors out to to inspect work that a contractor has done. Um, and we found that a contractor was unregistered, didn't pull permits, you know, the workmanship was poor. 
we would issue a bunch of violations against that contractor for not doing what they should be doing. First and foremost, not being registered like all your all's members are. Um, but the frustrating thing was that we couldn't collect on those. They had nowhere to go, right? So we would issue violations sometimes in the tens of thousands of dollars because we saw some very egregious things sometimes. Um, and there was no mechanism to collect on that. So I think that, you know, through the years that got out, even when we were inspecting job sites and we'd stop and we'd say, you know, please let us see your registration number. And you'd have 10, 10 individuals on a work site that didn't have a registration number. You know, the inspectors would sit there and take the time and fill in the ticket, issue the ticket, and then nothing would happen. Um, so that was just extremely frustrating. And as of recently, we have uh, created a, a contract with the Department of Revenue that gives a great solution to that. Um, and, and Jim, if you want to jump in and kind of get into the details of that, I, you know, I think we're, we're extremely excited about it. Yeah. Um, so as, as Julietta was saying, you know, previously we would issue the violation and um, there was really no, I don't want to say follow up, but really no downside to the rogue contractor just not cooperating with us. Um, so with this new um, relationship with DOR, we can now, when we issue violations, we give them a 30-day opportunity to, to come in and work out an arrangement for payment. Um, if we don't hear from them, we refer that file over to the Department of Revenue. They send out another letter saying that it would be in their best interest to cooperate and try to reach a settlement. If not, they take them to district court and uh, pursue it in that respect. Um, so it, it, it's a game changer, for lack of a better way to say it, for the enforcement piece of the CRLB. Now, how many cases have you done? Now, this has been in place since February? March. Yeah, March. Okay. Yeah. How many cases have you dealt with? I know that you gave me a quote for the, the builder story, Jim, uh, that uh, people heard this and, and they all like jumped to it and you had like uh, 45 new registrations or something in the first great. two weeks. Uh, could you tell us about that? Sure. I mean, uh, like we talked before, it's, it's always our um, priority to get people registered. So if the contractor is willing to come in and get registered and take the required education, then we'll negotiate those uh, violations accordingly. Um, but for those that don't cooperate, since I can give you some statistics, since March 10th, uh, based on the letters we send out, we sent 54 letters since March 10th, totaling $185,000 in violations due to the state. Um, we have collected almost $50,000 of that so far. Uh, that has, um, those are the ones that we have not sent to the DOR yet, just based on our original letter saying you have 30 days to comply with this order. So 50,000 that we've collected um, and the DOR has received $135,000 worth of uh, violations that they will now be pursuing on our behalf. And so it's working. 
it so far, I mean, to, to that point, I think that the, in my eyes, the, the, the most lovely thing about this is it's come in and get registered. We don't care about collecting your violation money, right? When we go out to a job site and you're not registered, our objective is to get you registered, to get you on the right path of, of working legally, coming and getting your education, making sure that you have insurance, all that good stuff. But I think that the other beautiful piece of this is when they come in and the violations have stemmed from a complaint that a homeowner has brought to our attention, right? Because remember, it's the two paths. We can either issue violations on a complaint that a homeowner has brought to our attention or on our own enforcement out on the street. Um, we can sit down with that contractor and say, look, you know, you've got this much money that you owe to the state, $20,000 as an example. Would you rather work with this homeowner and make them right or pay the state $20,000? And they usually, not always, they'll usually rather work with the homeowner because they're, they're owing the homeowner less than the fines that we issue against them. So I think it's, it's good for the industry. It's good for homeowners. And most of, and most importantly, I think it's good for your all's members who just know that, you know, there's an agency out there congratulating them indirectly for being legal and doing the right thing. Okay. John Marcantoni, you want to jump in here? Uh, sure. Uh, if you could just explain a little bit more about the process there, Juliet or Jim. So, you know, sometimes contractors, they're, they're trying to do the right thing. Let's say they're registered, they're insured, they're doing that type of stuff. I, a client of theirs, for whatever reason, decides, look, you know, you're not doing this the way you said you were. Sometimes these contracts aren't very good, aren't really well-written expectations between customers and, and and contractors sometimes bring complaints to you. What, what is the basis of a true complaint? Like what's something that, that has legs when it comes to your, your entity? Do you want me to go? Sure. No, uh, so, John, that's a very good point. And, um, I pay close attention to that, uh, uh, and um, there are complaints that are without merit. You know, um, the contractor did it, everything right. He did the best job he could, whether, you know, in that, there's always a difference of opinion as to what, you know, acceptable work is. But we really look at, to the working without permits, the unregistered contractor. If there's a, um, a disagreement over the quality of work or did someone breach the contract, we, we, get, we try to get the parties together in an informal mediation type setting where we say, look, can we work out these differences is there a balance owed? Will you let the contractor come back and try to fix things? Um, so, it, it, you know, we try to just bring the parties together. The homeowner is not always right. Contractor is not always right. We, we recognize that. Um, but we've really tried to, on the violation end, go after those egregious, uh, you know, violations, the, the ones that, really have the merit, like the registrations and the insurance and the um, um, permits, those kinds of things. So just to, to mirror what you're saying, uh, to our members out there who are listening to this or folks who aren't necessarily a member of the trade association, we work to some degree 
um, in a parallel course there, we're always encouraging our members, if they have an issue with a customer, to work it out. Um, if they lose their registration, they lose their membership. Um, if they're acting unethically, and we have our own mecha mechanisms internally to deal with those things, we would they would lose their membership. Um, I find most people want to come to some sort of resolution. Most people don't want to you know, face the state or face a judge. And most customers just want some adequate, or, or I should say um, somewhat of a resolution to their, their initial. We know the quality of work uh, out there in an industry as diverse as ours is very, um, you know, this high end spectrum. And spectrum of skill sets. And we work every day to try to provide contractors this, the information and skill sets they need to improve that. Um, but for those members of ours who are listening, we, we do um, not defend bad behavior. And so we, we encourage you, if you ever have to run into Mr. Cambrio or Mr. Jackis or any of the folks there at the CLB to try to work uh, cooperatively with them to your best interest. Yeah, thank you. Well, one issue that I think is needs to be emphasized again and again is uh, both for homeowners and for contractors to tell homeowners is that if they hire an unregistered contractor, their, their homeowner's insurance does not cover anything bad that will happen. And uh, they could lose their homes by employing an unregistered contractor. Maybe uh, one of you or both of you could comment on that. I mean, I will say as a person who did not grow up in the construction industry, but at least was smart enough to get references when I hired someone to do something, it boggles my mind how many homeowners are out there that are just willing to hand over tens of thousands of dollars on someone who's unregistered, doesn't show a registration card, doesn't show proof of insurance. I mean, Jim and I see it every day and it gets to the point where it's exasperating. You know, we're, we're customer service oriented and focused and that's what, you know, this is a consumer protection division. Um, but when you have a homeowner that comes in and says, you know, I gave, I gave Mr. X a check for $60,000 and he came in and just tore my house apart. Then you think, oh my goodness, you should ask. You need to contact your friends, your family, contact the contractor's board. We will tell you how many claims, how many violations. We will let you know if they have insurance. You know, all these good things that are, that are put in place to protect consumers, consumers need to be advocating for themselves oftentimes. Right. They need to do their due diligence when they hire. It's something that, you know, our relationship with the AG's office, Jim, has taught us. Right. The AG will, will go after these bad contractors that when we send the files over there. But the statement that that the director of DBR and the AG will always jointly come up with is please do your due diligence when you hire contractors. It's much more difficult to to clean up the mess after the fact than just not stepping in the mess to begin with. I think that that's the main thing that I've learned while being at the contractors board, Jim. Yeah, I think to echo that, Paul, I think we wouldn't have the issue with the NRBs if people didn't hire them, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, if, if homeowners did their due diligence and they asked for a valid registration and they asked for valid insurance or they wouldn't hire that person, it would kind of fix itself. But, you know, um, that's in a perfect world, I guess. But even, even Jim, during a complaint, right? A complaint, even when we sit down with the two parties to mediate, a contractor that is not registered has nothing to lose. Right. 
They, even if they were the worst contractor on the planet, they are not going to sit down with a homeowner and try to work things out because they have nothing to lose. They don't care about being legal. So, you know, if, if, if homeowners are listening out there, hire registered people, call us, ask us what their history is. It's so important. And if you're a contractor out there and you're a GC, hire registered yes. subcontractors. Yep. Can't stress that enough. Uh, trying to save a few uh, pennies here. There are not asking the appropriate questions. Make sure your subs are not only registered, but they are insured. <laughs> a little, little detail there. Absolutely. Uh, some of these contractors get themselves in a little bit of hot water. And contracts, Jim, I have you. Can you explain why? Uh, you know, people, uh, contractors need to have a contract with their uh, subs and their customers. Well, you know, we, it, it, it's funny. We, we talk about this. It's the same kind of argument. Well, why do I need a permit? The, you know, why do I want to have an inspection? It's to protect the parties. You know, you're protecting yourself with that contract. You're protecting the homeowner. The subs are being protected. You know, it, it confirms that uh, you are registered, you do have valid insurance, you're going to do X, Y, and Z for the agreed amount. Um, it spells out all of the, uh, the items that we then see in these complaints when we don't have contracts and we don't have uh, you know, valid contractors. So it just- least of all, it's the law, right? The, the law requires it. But Jim, I think it would be, you know, I don't know how much time we have, but it's it's nice to explain how a contract also protects the contractor, not just the homeowner. We have cases where a contractor did not sign something with the homeowner and the homeowner will submit a claim with the contractor's board asking for the stars and the moon, even though they had just agreed verbally to make to, to build a deck, for instance. They'll say, no, they agreed to a deck and siding and a new roof. And there's no proof of that. And, and so potentially even the contractors could get in trouble with the board by not signing that contract and with the homeowner then. So it's just, you know, it protects both parties. Well, one thing that we should bear in mind is it's April uh, and uh, <clears throat> hurricane season is coming near. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, <clears throat> one of the issues there is that whenever there's a major storm or even though some floods, uh, I'm thinking of areas of Cranston that, that tend, tend to flood when there's a lot of rain. Uh, anything of that kind, uh, contractors will come barreling in from out of state, and uh, they <clears throat> may or may not be any good. Now, I've been told by uh, predecessors in your office that, that a lot of them have come and registered duly, uh, which they can do, uh, and others, uh, of course, have not. H how can we do anything about th this flood of illegal contractors th th that probably will, will be coming into the state after the next storm? So, Jim, I'll, I'll kind of oh, explain okay. something. So just know we're never going to be able, in all honesty, to clean all that up. We can't be everywhere at all times. There's always going to be those people that are wanting to skirt the law, you know, make a few extra bucks by not being insured and registered. But... Um, on, on, on our part, we have inspectors that go out to, you know, the Westerlies, the Cumberlands, all those kind of border um, areas quite frequently. Um, we are going to start a program where we go out on the weekends. So that is very kind of unheard of um, for in-state service. But we were negotiating with, um, with some inspectors that can do that on the weekend because we understand that they fly in on the weekends. They have no, nothing on their trucks. 
They're out there on the weekends putting on a roof. And by the time we even know that they're there or someone calls to say my neighbor's doing something here on the weekend that they probably shouldn't be doing, they're across the border again. Um, so that's important. And then last but not least, just within the last couple of months, we, we had noticed that there were a bunch of contractors who at some point were registered and they, did it, they allowed their registration to slip. Theoretically speaking, they're probably still working as contractors. The law requires that anyone that stops working as a contractor in the state of Rhode Island voluntarily surrender their registration number. So they have to send us an email or they have to send us their card or whatever. They can even call us. We're easy about it. And just say, just so you know, I'm no longer a contractor. I'm surrendering my number. Um, all the individuals in our system that have not done that, and there's thousands, got an email about two weeks ago um, that said, you have not sent, surrendered your registration, but at the same time, you have not renewed your registration. So you need to come in and do so or within the next, by, by the end of June, you will be sent a violation of $1,000. So, I mean, we're, we're trying all these hopefully creative and good ways to, to get people in and registered. Um, you know, fingers crossed it works. Like I said, we thought of everything, right, Jim? We think so. <laughs> we think so. <laughs> yeah. We're trying. We're trying. We're open to well, suggestions. Go ahead, John. No, no. I, so... On the enforcement side, just for those listening, things are a lot different now, um, and it's a good thing. Uh, it, it helps with the integrity of the industry, and um, and for those of you out there who want to share this podcast with others, it's it's an important piece of information. Let them know that you know that there's no longer this ability to ignore uh, fines, violations, and problems with the contractors board. So please uh, take these words. Uh, as the best advice we possibly could give you. But I want to jump into another subject while I have the both of you. On the more positive side of things, online permitting continues to be a very, very interesting and good benefit. I think it's working well for those who participate in it, for the communities who are engaged in it. I know there's still a few stragglers out there that haven't jumped in yet. 31, 31 are online now. 31 out of 36. There you go, 31 I, out of 39. I've even used it. Um, to pull my permits here and uh it's pretty seamless it's quick uh it's 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 great wondering if you could provide any any more feedback on how that's going on your end and the potential expansion of that program for other areas of construction whether it be dem crmc or any other agency that's connected to permitting that sometimes uh slows things down so i'll jim i'll speak a little bit to that so most communities are online um the only big community that isn't yet is Johnston. Um, we have, you know, some of the smaller ones, the Fosters, the Gloucesters, wh who believe that it's not um, financially um, a good investment for them. They, they claim to not pull enough permits on a yearly basis for it to make sense. And they like that kind of hometown feel of someone walks into their town hall and, and gets a permit and they have a coffee together and whatever they do. Um, but I can, you know, let you know and your, your viewers that, you know, this speaker is extremely interested in housing and development and all those great things. And so the Department of Business Regulation has been in very frequent um, communication with his office on expanding all the types of services um, offered through e-permitting whether that be getting planning and zoning things up, making sure that all the municipalities have blue beam to be able to read 
read the plans because you need special software to do that. Um, and there's a lot of interest there. So hopefully, fingers crossed, things move forward the way everyone would like. Um, and as far as other state agencies go, I know CRMC and DOT have already put some things on. I think the John, the PAPA is on the, the curb cut with uh, DOT and CRMC is in the process. DEM is, you know, as you know, a, a big agency and I'm not sure that, that, that they're as far along with it as people would like. Um, but, you know, I've spoken to Director Coit. She's also extremely interested seeing, you know, how well it's been received by, by the industry and municipalities, the ones that are in it. Um, I think that people generally think it's a great thing. Before we wrap up, uh, there, there's a, a matter of the continuing education requirements uh, for uh, contractors before they uh, renew their registrations or before they register at all. Can you comment on that and the benefits of it for both the contractors and the homeowners? Uh, Julietta, you want to start with that? Sure. I mean, for the, you know, one of the things that we hear often, unfortunately, is contractors that have been around for a very long time that say, well, what could someone teach me? And there, there are so many advances in the industry all the time, both technology-wise, you know, building material-wise, codes that change that they need to be informed of, energy codes, efficiencies, that I don't truly believe, and I'm, and I'm a, a fan of education and learning, and I, and I truly don't believe that there's not something that they can find on a two-year basis, five, five hours, um, that, that could teach them something. I'll tell you some basic things. Um, even contractors that have been around for 30 years, they still get their contracts wrong, right? The law requires certain things in their contracts. The, the homeowners will say, is this an acceptable contract? We'll have to, we have to issue a fine against the contractor because even though they've signed a piece of paper, it doesn't have everything in it that they are required to have in it by law. So there's just so much that people can learn by taking the classes. And I don't ever think you're too old to learn something new. Um, and Jim, I know, you know, you and I have spoken about this multiple times and with John, I think we're all in agreement on that. There's, there's, you know, even with the codes changing as quickly as they do, there, there could be even, you know, then just take code classes would, would be enough. Okay. Uh, Jim, any uh, comment on that? No, um, I, I can't agree more. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of continuing education. Um, and John and I talked, uh, just a little while ago about how the, you know, code adoption and, and how the codes keeping up with the material changes and all the different materials out there and the engineered products. Um, there's so much to learn. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think we could ever offer enough continuing education um, in that regard. Okay. John, uh, before we wrap up, any further uh, comments? Well, I don't get these two uh, in this type of forum that often, so I, I don't want to let them go yet. I have a few more things. If they have <laughs> oh, no, go um, for it. Yeah, we have no limit on time. Um, I don't want to so go to three hours or anything, but there, no. <laughs> there, is, there is currently a proposal in an article submitted by the governor to ex well, I don't know if it's extend or to shorten. I can't find the right word here, but right now contractors register every two years with your agency. There's a proposal to have it be every year, uh, have their, their registration be yearly. Um, and I've looked at it. I think it's, it, there's a good solid logical reason for it. And I don't know if you wanted to just quickly discuss it. Um, a lot of it, frankly, uh, getting back to some contractors, just not 
following the rules, uh, it's come to my attention that, you know, there are a significant number of contractors who, because their insurance policies are yearly and their registration is every two years, uh, decide to carry the insurance only when they need to register and for the remaining year, just go without it to save some money until such time that a mistake happens because things happen and then they're uninsured and guess where they end up? They end up with a complaint before the contractor's registration board and that gets messy for everyone. It almost makes them uninsurable at some point too. So um, we want to just chat a little bit about that. It's a proposal. I, I, I believe you guys are fine with it. Uh, I'm not saying it came out of your office but the industry's looked at it and I, I suspect that it's probably gonna go into effect. And if it does, I don't know when or how that works. Uh, if you wanna jump in or if not, that's fine too. No, I mean, I, I think it's a good thing. And John, you, you, you hit it, you know, the, the nail on the hammer, the hammer on the nail, however the, that is. But it's, it's so important that we know that contractors are, carry insurance, not only liability insurance, but their workers comp insurance that they need to have. Right. So we're in a situation where when they are only required to show proof of carrying insurance at the time they register and insurance policies, exactly as you said, last for 12 months. We have the sneaking suspicion or maybe more than a suspicion that a lot of them were not renewing their insurance that second year. Um, and that left homeowners vulnerable, that left their their employees vulnerable. Um, so we we support it. We think it's a great thing. Um, I, I also think from a continuing education point of view, it's a good thing. A lot of people um, huff and puff when they hear, oh my goodness, I have to do five hours and they kind of want to do it the night before. So this spreads it out a little bit more evenly, which, which I think is a good thing. And, and just knowing it's kind of like taxes, just knowing you have to do it on a yearly basis. You never question whether or not, oh, is this my year that I'm on? Is this my year that I'm off? It just becomes more of a routine. So for all those different reasons, um, we, we certainly support it. It's in the governor's budget. Um, and I think it's a good thing. All right. So my next thing uh, I want to talk about, and this is more of a thank you. So ask, ask a code question, right? Yeah. Only Jim will answer it. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I just want to take a few minutes to thank you, especially Julieta, um, and, and yourself, Jim, and the whole staff down there at DBR. It was almost a year ago this pandemic started, and we had many a daily conversation, uh, and it was a very confusing time as to you know what this virus was, how it spread, what industry could stay open, what the rules were going to be, uh, and and you know your team and obviously the governor uh, Ramondo and now Governor McKee were, were always inclined to allow our industry to because we primarily worked outside. And the science at the time suggested that was safer than inside. Uh, allowed us to stay open. Um, and we, we worked with you on a said, almost daily basis then to come up with some rules that we disseminated to the industry. And I think we did our best to comply, uh, but your, your team did an extraordinary job. And, and Jim, just to keep inspections working, <laughs> again, I, I know we, we were in contact, uh, but it was the efforts of, uh, of your department and the cooperation of all the building officials across the state and maybe even our industry saying, you know, come by on a Saturday or we'll all leave the job so you can inspect it. Uh, and we, we somehow got through it. Uh, and now hopefully we're on the other side of it. Uh, at least that's expected shortly. Uh, and I also hope at some point uh, for those who may still need a vaccine to offer the trade association as a location for that. Uh, there'll be more news on that uh, in the coming days. Um, Julianne, all that aside, a long-winded little introduction, 
where 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 do we stand right now? Uh, end of April with the rules for construction. I know the governor just recently said uh, beginning of May he's going to lighten up. A lot of that talk is about indoor dining and those types of things. Obviously, I'm, I'm telling our industry there's no need to wear masks outside anymore at all. Uh, I still give them guidance on indoor issues. You know, sharing car rides, uh, working around customers. But is is there any official end of the pandemic guidance uh, as to what we should be communicating? So let me just say first and foremost that throughout this pandemic, I have never met anyone as well informed about COVID as John. (laughs) So I think that he is the person that sent me the most articles and knew more than anyone what was going on, when the vaccines were going to be ready, how to keep his industry safe, that it just blew my mind. I mean, he would come to me actually and say, you know, I think that these are some great rules that can be put in place, but also it's relatively safe to be outside. Look at this study from England, look at the study from France. And I think that a lot of the information that you shared, you know, with me personally, but with the governor's shop in general, um, was extremely helpful to keeping the industry open and safe. And I say safe because unlike certain industries, we did not hear a lot about the construction industry. We, you know, it wasn't ringing in our ears all year round as, you know, uh-oh, there's a lot of clusters. This is going on. They're not following the rules. They're not saying safe. Even when the inspectors coming out and, and doing hundreds of uh, inspect COVID inspections on, on, on uh, construction sites, we found that they would, for the most part, score very, very well. Um, it's, it's, I think, to a testament to you that, that you all were able to keep the industry and, and you know, the, your other industry association partners as well. Um, that said, you know, things are really loosening up in the very quickly. So May 7th, you know, gathering sizes change. May 28th, they, they expand even more. It's, you know, you can go to a restaurant now and, and restaurants don't have to have six feet of space. They can have three, speed of, three feet of space between tables. Um, we're just having summer events, like it's, you know, partying like it's 1999 or whatever that saying is. But at the end of the day, our numbers are good. Our vaccination numbers are high. And so I, I think this governor is very, very interested in opening up the economy. You know, he was a small business owner himself. And so he's a huge advocate of businesses. So businesses across the board, but construction businesses as well. And I think, you know, John, you, 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 you rightfully said that that industry was never shut down. Um, and I think if, as long as logic prevails, masks are worn when you're indoors, you try to keep that, that safe three feet distance, um, you know, the industry will continue being safe as it has been. So, you know, whether or not there's gonna be updated guidance, I don't think so, not specifically for the industry, just because it's, you know, where we kept things tighter, indoors with restaurants, with, you know, bars, uh, fitness centers and stuff, you, your industry never had those type of tight restrictions to begin with. Okay, uh, any further comment from anyone? Jim, okay. All right, well, certainly, um, Great conversation. Thank you very much, uh, Julieta. Um, anything else? You look like you want to say something. No, no, no. Okay. I'm just always happy to be here with the two of you. It's great. <laughs> oh, that's great. Always, well, always a great discussion. Yes. 
Uh, so again, uh, Deputy Director DBR, Julieta Georgiakis, and State Building Code Commissioner Jim Cambio, thank you so very much, along with my uh, wonderful friend and co-host, John Marcantonio. And uh, this will do it, I guess, for our podcast number seven. Uh, in the meantime, uh, maybe John would like to speak to this. Uh, the Rhode Island Builders Association is going strong. For all the information, education, and member resources you need, call 401-438-7400 during business hours or visit ribuilders.org anytime. I'm Paul Eno here with Executive Officer John Marcantoni, and we'll see you next time on Reba's News and Information Podcast.